Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I wore a suit and a tie on camera the other day, and I said I would explain that later. And the reason I was wearing that is a little bit later on that morning, I went to watch arguments in front of the Michigan Supreme Court. But interestingly, they were not sitting in Lansing. They actually occasionally take a show on the road, and they took it to Flint, Michigan. And when I was at the Institute for Justice Retreat in California, they said, oh, by the way, Steve, we're going to be out in Michigan shortly. Uh, to have an argument from the Michigan Supreme Court. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. What case? And they told me. And I talked about that case on my channel. And they said, you'd be welcome to come on out. And I said, okay, cool. Where is it? They said, well, that's the interesting thing. It won't be in Lansing. It'll be in Flint at a high school, at a high school in Flint. So I got all dressed up that morning. You saw me. And I went in and watched the arguments. And so here's a story about those arguments. The court has not ruled yet, but I thought it'd be worthwhile to do an update anyway because it's an interesting case from WWMT. Rachel Louise just wrote this, and Vinny pointed out that it was covered in the newspaper. Michigan Supreme Court hears arguments on the township's drone surveillance of couples' property. This is the case we talked about where someone's property was surveilled by drone, and the township is the one running the drone. And then they used the drone footage in an attempt to go after the couple. And by the way, I met the couple, very, very nice people. And their argument is, well, we didn't need a warrant because we're just flying a drone over your property. And my question, as I always like to ask, is if you could have gotten a warrant, why didn't you? And they, believe it or not, are arguing, well, among other things, even if it violates the Fourth Amendment, there is no remedy, meaning that you cannot block us from using the evidence against you, which is kind of strange because if the law has no remedy, it's not really a law. But they're saying there's a distinction to be made because it's a civil sort of action as opposed to a criminal action. And I think anytime government actors do something, it should be governed by the Bill of Rights. That, that could just be me. <laughs> well, the Institute agrees with me on that one, too, but we'll see what happens. But it is a first-in-the-nation case unfolding in Michigan. Our highest court is mulling whether a northern Michigan township violated a family's Fourth Amendment rights by using a drone to surveil their private property. The man's name is Todd Maxson. I met him and his wife. Very, very nice people. He has a hobby, but that hobby's landed him and his wife in an 18-year legal battle fit for a big screen or a bookshelf. Runaway drone surveillance is pretty much the start of every dystopian science fiction novel, says Robert Fromer, senior attorney with the Institute for Justice. He was there also. I talked to him quite a bit that day. You know, the state that has failed us, and that's why we're here, that's why we're here trying to hold the line. So Fromer and the Institute, attorney Mike Greenberg, and we'll talk about him in a second, are representing the Maxons in a legal battle with Long Lake Township, a community with a population of about almost 10,000, located a few miles west of Traverse City. So we're talking about up here, basically. The Michigan Supreme Court justices held a hearing in front of a group of Flint Powers Catholic High School students, but there are also students from other school districts there as well, but it's being held at Flint Powers Catholic High School. Part of the Court Community Connections Program aimed at engaging teens and others in the judicial process. I'll admit I've not seen many Supreme Court cases, but when they take it out and bring it into the different communities, it's much easier to go see. So that was kind of cool. The Maxon-Long Lake Township case centers around Todd's history of fixing up cars. So he buys cars, fixes them, occasionally he'll scrap them, but often he'll fix them and sell them. But it's not a business, it's a hobby. So Long Lake Township disagreed and concluded he was operating an illegal junkyard 
and that he is violating residential zoning laws in his neighborhood. After going to court over the issue in 2008, he was allowed to keep his vehicles, but he agreed not to add more to the collection as part of a settlement. Almost a decade later, the township said it received a tip from a neighbor about the Maxon property. Now, this is a point of dispute because the Maxons know their neighbors and they won't say who it was that allegedly complained. An anonymous tip. The township then decided to hire a private company to find out if Maxon had kept his word and used a drone on multiple occasions, three times, to examine the Maxon property from above, according to court documents. Todd Maxon said this is high-definition, zoom-in video with still photographs. It's people today, society today, is not ready to accept it as the norm. Nobody would want any drone watching you. You're out in your yard, and you hear something, you look up, and there's a drone watching you. You don't know. Who is it? Who is it? Oh, it's the township. They're just checking out your backyard. Ensuing legal battle made its way to the Michigan Supreme Court after years of litigation. It made it to the Court of Appeals. And by the way, this thing's bounced back and forth so many times, I'm not even going to get into the path it took to get here. The township argues it did not violate the privacy of the Maxons because a drone was in the air and not on their property. Long Lake Township's attorneys have also argued there was no precedent or rule in place saying the township could not use a drone to view the yard. But following that logic, they can fly when it's six feet. Just fly it around. It's, it's not touching the ground. They can fly to 10 feet. It's not touching the ground. Meanwhile, vehicles that Maxon's working on are not visible from the front of the home or from the road. Now, their attorney claims that their backyard was not concealed from the neighbors. He said, we have evidence that shows that all of this material that was accumulated was visible from the adjacent properties, which leads you to the obvious question then, why did you need a drone? You should be able to walk over, get permission from the neighbors, say, can we walk on your property, walk over, and see what you can see. Now, you might say, but Steve, what if the neighbors don't grant that permission? Well, shouldn't you ask to find out if they will? This is not, this is not brain science here, okay? Drones are legally permitted to fly as high as 400 feet in the air in most parts of the state, high enough that they are not always noticed from the ground. Some, of course, have the capability to capture zoomed-in images and videos from the air, while others have fixed lenses. Not going to get into that. No warrant or formal permission was given to the township ahead of the drone use, and the Maxes were not made aware that the surveillance was happening, according to the couple's attorneys. Todd says, I was outside, and their own video captures me outside. One time, I'm right out in my driveway, walking out of my house, garage, with my kid, my dogs, and he's being filmed from above. Attorneys of the Maxons say the property was surveilled with drones three times over the course of 2017 and 2018. What the drone did here, which was prowl all around the Maxons' property for the purpose of gathering as much information about the property as possible, is on the far end of the trespass side of the line, the attorney Greenberg said during the court arguments. The Michigan Supreme Court justices did not make a decision on the case on Wednesday, but Fromer said if the court rules against the people, they will take this to the U.S. Supreme Court. And they've done it before, they'll do it again. The amount of money that the township has put into this, which are your tax dollars, my tax dollars, and everybody else in the township, including going down to other municipal townships representing this, is a waste of tax dollars, Maxon points out. They don't even seem to care. It's not their money. And that, of course, is a problem. 
But the whole point is that this township had other methods they could have done to accomplish this without doing the drone. They could have gone onto the neighboring properties and simply looked. What can we see? They claim it's all visible from next door. Go next door and look. Also, there was an agreement that the Maxons struck with the township years ago and said, here's what we're going to do. And the township and the Maxons agreed on something, put it in writing. Why didn't they put an inspection clause in there? This all would have been solved, avoided completely if they'd put an inspection clause into the agreement that simply says, the Maxons agree to do this, the township agrees to do this, and by the way, to make sure this agreement's being followed, the township has the right to, I don't know, once a year, come in and take a look. Twice a year, come in, whatever it is, whatever it is. I've seen settlements like that. That's a common thing. Somebody dropped the ball. Probably an attorney for the township dropped the ball on that. That's such an obvious solution to avoid this entirely. But the question is, and and this was raised during oral arguments, if the court allows this and says township can fly a drone all day long and just surveil your property willy-nilly, what's going to happen is every municipality in Michigan is going to buy a drone hand the drone to their ordinance person and say, learn to fly this, and go out and start finding violations. And they'll be able to just go up and down the street, flying over every single house until they find things that they want to hit you for. Now, what will they find? I don't know. But do I want them overflying my yard, my property, periodically, just looking for stuff? I don't want that happening. I don't want that happening. Now, there will be some townships that won't do it because they probably think, why spend the money on the drone? Until they realize, wait, if we buy a drone and the township guy can operate it, the municipal ordinance guy can operate it, think of the money we'll be able to recoup on that investment with all of the fines and tickets we can issue. Oh, my. Trust me, that would happen. And sadly, when that was brought up in oral, oral argument, one of the judges on the bench actually said, well, we're not really here to talk about theoretical future things. Let's talk about this case. And I understand that, but I've always thought that the courts should look at what could happen potentially from their rulings. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you that the attorney who argued this case for the Institute for Justice is named Mike Greenberg. I met him at the oral arguments. I watched him argue. I have... Not in my lifetime that I can recall seeing an attorney as well prepared as he was. Now, here's the thing. They only gave each side 15 minutes. Normally, you get 30. For whatever reason, Supreme Court said you guys get 15 minutes to make your arguments. So, number one, to condense all of your best arguments into 15 minutes in a case like this can be difficult. But, obviously, they did it. Both sides had to do that. And... You can get up in front of a panel on appeal and start making an argument. And they'll just let you talk. And at the end of your time, they'll go, okay, thank you. Next. But occasionally, they fire questions at you. And they don't tell you what the questions are going to be in advance. And you don't know. Now, I've never argued before the Supreme Court, but I have argued before the Court of Appeals. And procedurally, it's similar. And I've been halfway through a sentence. And a judge goes, Mr. Leto, blah, 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 blah. And they fire a question at you. You stop what you're talking about. You stop what you're thinking about. You shift gears like a Muncie rock crusher, and you answer their question. And the longer you pause and the less precise your answer is, the worse your answer looks. And Mr. Greenberg 
would respond to their questions with authority. And he would say, he, would, he, he wouldn't just throw a case at them. Oh, you guys, Johnson versus Smith. No. He'd say the Supreme Court in the case of Johnson versus Smith said specifically on that point that this matters, but this does not. And in our case, we got this, but we don't have that. I mean, it was unbelievable. And when they were done, there was a little debriefing period afterwards. I went up to the man, and I'd met him before. And I said, Michael, I've got to tell you, I've seen a lot of arguments. I've seen a lot of attorneys argue in court. I've never seen anybody as prepared as you and put on a stellar performance like you did. I was blown away. And, he, and I shook his hand, and he thanked me, so thank you very much. I came back home afterwards, and I sent an email to Scott Bullock at the Institute for Justice. <laughs> I didn't print it out. I wish I had. Where I basically said, I attended these hearings because you guys invited me. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, I got to sit in, in essence, the front row with the clients. And um, I said, Michael Greenberg blew me away with the amount of preparation that he must have done and his devotion to that case, how well he did the arguments, how well he handled the questions, how well he answered them. I was, I was stunned. I was stunned. And I've gone to court many times just to watch. I've seen attorneys fall flat on their face. I've seen attorneys perform well. If you said, Steve, rank all the performances you've seen in court by attorneys making oral arguments on appeal, Michael Greenberg, top of the scale right here. The attorney for the township was pretty good too. He's pretty good. He was no Michael Greenberg. So I'm just letting you know that right now. And here's the thing. I've been touting the Institute for Justice now on my channel for a couple of years, saying, you know, you guys got to check them out, look at the work they do. And here they are in a case that's gone back and forth between the trial court, the Court of Appeals, the Michigan Supreme Court, back and forth, back and forth. And they've even said, if we have to, we'll go to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's not just that they'll put in that kind of work, but they'll do a good job of it too. So <laughs> I walked out of there thoroughly impressed with the work they do. If I had a case that was in front of the Court of Appeals, the Supreme Court, or the State Supreme Court, and they were handling it, I'd kick back and go, okay, I'm taken care of. I'm taken care of. So Michael Greenberg, I salute you. Institute for Justice, for having him on your staff, I salute you too. Michigan Supreme Court hears arguments on townships, drone surveillance of couples' property from WWMT. Vinny sent me the note on the story. Rachel Louise just wrote that. And uh, when we hear a ruling on this, I will let you know. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Therapy is expensive. Chocolate is cheap. 